As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined as always by my co-host Matt Fortuna. Uh, today's special guest, as Notre Dame gets into the interesting part of its ACC schedule, David Hale from ESPN, who, Matt, um, you were very familiar with in a, a previous life uh, at ESPN when you were uh, both ACC insiders together. Um, I think that it was about the time Notre Dame was moving over to the ACC, and I, I think that might be an interesting place to start, David, Like, because, I mean, you cover college football from a different perspective than I, than I do on the ground here in South Bend. And I'm, we're talking to Marcus Freeman and some players this week about, you know, do you watch the ACC? Do you sort of follow the ACC? And they're like, not really. Um, <laughs> they're not, they're in it, but not in it. Um, how over the years, how has sort of the view of Notre Dame within that league changed, evolved, adjusted in any way from your point of view? I mean, it never seemed like the most logical cultural fit. You know, it was, you, you look at the rivalries that Notre Dame has traditionally, and they're largely in the Big Ten and the Pac-12. There's not like this great history between Notre Dame and the ACC, but it worked because the ACC was sort of desperate and Notre Dame needed a place for its other sports. And so uh, I think what you get, look, unquestionably, this relationship has been good probably for both sides, but definitely for the ACC. I mean, Syracuse and Notre Dame are going to play a game that matters a whole hell of a lot more this week than it would be if Syracuse was playing almost anybody else. So these these games are good for the league. They draw interest for the league. They help TV ratings for the league. They make the league more attractive, without question. But I think inside the league, if you talk to coaches and a lot of ADs, there's sort of a frustration, like they feel like they're being used a little bit. Uh, I think there was a lot of frustration in 2020 when John Swafford just welcomed in Notre Dame to the league for one year during the pandemic to help help Notre Dame out of a jam just because we're good friends and all. And people around the league are saying, like, man, this was our chance to strong arm them into joining full time. I don't think there was any chance that was ever going to happen right. anyway. But it's sort of that's part. That's the conversation is that people feel like somehow Notre Dame is getting more out of this than the ACC is getting. But a lot of that really comes from a place of the ACC as a whole understands what 
the big picture college football landscape is and understands that really the only way they survive it in any fashion that looks similar to now is to get Notre Dame to join. And frankly, I don't know anyone inside the league who seriously thinks that's going to happen one way or the other. So there's just a little bit of an animosity because um, I don't know. It's, you know, it's, it's like any relationship. There's a power dynamic issue and everybody thinks Notre Dame holds all the cards and the ACC is just getting pushed around. Yeah. You know, when it, when it first came to be, I guess 2012 was when it was announced. 2014 was when it was implemented. I thought, uh, man, the Notre Dame got a sweetheart deal here. Like they don't need to worry about their schedules. Um, they've got a much better bowl lineup at the time. They were not, you know, annually completing for playoff spots the way that they are for the most part. Now, um, I, I just saw it was a, a, a huge get for Notre Dame. And now you look at it. I mean, 2020 was the pandemic year and the ACC had a record revenue distribution pretty much because they welcomed Notre Dame in as a full member that year. Um, the ACC title game, even though it was a dud, was very meaningful with two teams that ended up making the college football playoff that year. Syracuse, to your point, they're going to have an orange out this week. It's going to be a huge event on campus. We've seen um, primetime games at Clemson, at Florida State, um, at Louisville that, that probably otherwise would not have been primetime sold-out affairs. Um, it, it just seems like the, the power dynamic certainly has tilted in Notre Dame's favor here, particularly with the recent waves of realignment in the Big Ten and in the SEC. I just think you know if the ACC is on a little bit shakier ground than it was two or three years ago, we all can do the math. It's it's not it's not a great place to be if you're the ACC. Now, they've got stability in terms of a grant of rights and, and, and contracts and whatnot. But I just think, it, I, I'm with you, I just feel like there's definitely been, and maybe part of this is the commissioner switch as well, a new voice at the head of the table in Jim Phillips. But it just seems like there's definitely more resentment now than there had been in 2014, 2015. Yeah, I remember David Cutcliffe saying in that 2020 season, like, I'm fine with Notre Dame joining for a year if they're going to share revenue with us. And I was like, David, they're actually making less TV right. revenue than you are, right? It's not help. It's not changing the landscape. Them simply playing the game, showing up and playing the games is what's bringing in money for you. It is, uh, it's amazing to me, no matter how many times we write it, that Notre Dame loses money by being a partial member opposed to a full member of the <laughs> league. Uh, I just like... I think that there are people, and like I'm sure Pat Narduzzi is chairman of this group, like that think there's a printing <laughs> press of galleons, like somewhere in the administration building at Notre Dame, uh, printing out all this money that then they they put on top of the dome. It's not uh, not doesn't quite work out that way. I I almost I'm also fascinated by like I think when this got started. The Tom O'Briens of the world were like grumbling about the bowl, like, oh, Notre Dame's going to swipe all these bowl bids. And then you look at it nine years later, I think it's happened three times. It happened more in the beginning than it did yeah. when they got good. <laughs> Music City Bowl, they were in the Citrus Bowl, and then the uh, the Camping World Bowl. And the rest of the time, either is Notre Dame's been good enough to be New Year's Six or college football playoff or bad enough to not go to a bowl at all. This year is sort of between the bad enough to not go to a bowl or like going to swipe one of those bids. But it just, to me, it's just like if they, if I'm the ACC, I don't, there hasn't been this like knocking every other ACC team down the ladder of bowl bids either, which I feel like it was, was kind of one of those big gripes early on. Yeah. And I mean, part of it is that the ACC has itself to blame for some of this anyway. Like the, the, the signature programs have not played like signature programs outside of Clemson. And that's so, yeah, Notre Dame, when you start looking at that, that whole 
pie and say like who's who's interested in to a bowl host like florida state would be interesting miami would be interesting carolina would be interesting those teams have not warranted being in these conversations so like i mean it shouldn't exactly be shocking news that notre dame draws more interest than wake forest does like and that's it's not a knock on wake forest it's just reality it's, it's funny you bring up that example because i remember um, at acc media day this year uh that was again right after uh i guess two years ago it happened during the sec expansion this year it happened right after the big 10 expansion and a lot of the questions the coaches got were expansion related and dave clausen said something to the effect of well, if it was about investment, we'd be at the head of the table. We put $100 million into our football program over the last two years. Unfortunately, we're the smallest Power 5 school in the country, and that, that's ultimately what dictates this. Um, you were at Clemson, right, Saturday for Cherokee? Yep, I was there. So you got to see the the, the play-in ball for Notre Dame, I guess we'll call it, for lack of a better term, <laughs> since those are the Irish's next two opponents. What I mean, you were there. I think everyone had a hot take out of that game for both teams. Um, what was your kind of more measured nuance take? And I read your story just talking to the Clemson players and coaches afterward about how they are insisting there's not a quarterback controversy, despite what everyone just saw with their own two eyes. Um, what did you take out of that? I mean, were, and were there really any takeaways from Syracuse in that game? Because everyone's been talking about Clemson and, you know, Hughes almost. Beat yeah. Him. Well, my hot take on Syracuse is, and I, I feel pretty emphatically about this as a Syracuse alumnus. Uh, why the hell are you not giving the ball to Sean Tucker with a 14-point lead? Yeah. The guy had two carries in the second half. It is mind-boggling to me. This Look, I'm not an X's and O's guy. If I had to coach a football team, it'd finish 0-12. Uh, but, you know, you hear coaches all the time saying, like, wow, well, we, we, we were trying to take what the defense gave us. You're up 14. You have one of the best running backs in the country, and you give him the ball twice like i don't care what the defense has given you you put the ball in your best player's hands so that's my hot take on that uh clemson is a fascinating situation because one of the things that i uh have not heard a lot about it's sort of like the story's been about dj and and benching him and what that means Kid Klubnik didn't exactly come in and light right. the world on fire right like how different would this conversation be if he had thrown for like 150 yards and two touchdowns in the second half there after he came in, like, I think that's a big question that, that they haven't really answered. And two, I genuinely wonder why you do this. If you're not going to have your quarterback come in and throw the, like he threw four passes after he came in. Was it worth the headache of having to talk about a QB controversy <laughs> for a guy who threw four, like DJ could have handed the ball off just as easily as Klubnik did. And, and frankly, I mean, look, if you don't have a real kind of ticky-tack uh, personal foul penalty on the sideline on that first drive, I don't know how much differently this story plays out, too. I asked Brandon Streeter after the game, what happens in the, if this similar type of situation comes up in the next few weeks? You're playing Notre Dame or you're playing Miami and DJ doesn't look great. Is he have to look over his shoulder? Are you going to make this move again? And he didn't really give a great answer to that. Like, yeah, we know DJ is going to be the starter moving forward. But and 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 Streeter essentially said, well, he doesn't have to be perfect, but he has to play well, like everybody does. Well, I don't think you would have ever had that conversation about Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun Watson, uh, no matter how badly they played in any given game. So what it says to me is that, yeah. DJ is still the starter, and and understandably so. 
but there is a point in which that can change. And that is a conversation that Davo has not wanted to have for the last 12 months. So the fact that he's doing it now or forcing that conversation to be had now, to me says this is something significant. I don't think it completely upends what you think of Clemson at this point, but to me it does say like, you know, I don't know. It, the, 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 the comparison that I made in the story that I wrote earlier this week is that it reminds me a little bit of that 2017 Alabama team where you feel like you've got a national championship caliber roster and you've got a quarterback who you've won with, but you might have this younger quarterback who you think you can really win with if you give him the chance, but you're not quite sure that you can make that change. And I, I remember talking to Dabo that after that season. And so Clemson played Alabama in the sugar bowl that year. And that Bama got a pick six off of Kelly Bryant right before the half that really turned that game. And Dabo said they were expecting Tua to come in in the second half. If that play hadn't happened, if the game was still close. And then of course we saw that. (laughs) Yep. So, and then we saw that happen in the national championship game two weeks later against Georgia when they were losing at halftime. So I, I look at it very similarly. I don't think, Clemson wants to make a change, just like I don't think Saban wanted to make that change. Uh, but when push came to shove, it happened. And I think you will, I think that could be the story of how this season, there's not like a team that's going to super challenge them the rest of the way. Notre Dame obviously has, has been what they are this year. Notre, Miami looks like a train wreck, but let's say they get to an ACC championship game against maybe North Carolina who can put up points. And their offense is struggling. Do you have to make that change? If they get into the playoff and the offense struggles, do you have to make that change? I think you do. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I want to jump back to Syracuse. Like, how good are they? Because <laughs> I haven't watched a ton of them, but I watched the how the Purdue game ended. I uh, watched some of the Virginia game against my own self interest. Like, what? I can't tell how good they are because I I was shocked when they were. I, I thought maybe they wouldn't get blown off the field last week because Clemson isn't that great offensively for the reasons you just detailed, but. Um, do should I reevaluate Syracuse as like actually a a, a pretty good team um, based off of what they've done to NC State and their backup quarterback, and then last week going on the road to Clemson? They are. I think the defense is genuinely good. Like I don't think that's a mirage by any stretch. Their linebacking core is really talented. They play like this three three five scheme. It's very similar to what NC State does too, where they essentially use their their defensive front to just fill up some gaps and then free their linebackers to go make plays. And in the secondary, particularly if if, uh, 
Garrett Williams is, is healthy for this game, they're potentially very, very good in the secondary. So they can challenge you defensively, and they're not going to make anything easy. And we saw that against uh, Purdue, I think, was a good example of a very good offense that didn't move the ball at all against uh, Syracuse for most of that game. Offensively, I they're talented where they're talented, but that's a very narrow window. So Sean Tucker's a really damn good player. Um, and Dabo, after the game, basically said he's the one guy we thought could beat us. So, again, you might want to give the ball to the one guy <laughs> that the opposing coach is worried about. Uh, Garrett Schrader is a fine quarterback who is extremely mobile and can challenge you because he can beat you with his legs. Uh, and he's gotten better as a thrower. He's not great, but he's gotten better. They have one really legitimate receiving target, and that's Aronde Gadsden. I, he's I don't know that he's a special player, but he's a unique build, so he's a matchup problem. And in Robert and I's offense, he does a really good job of taking advantage of players like that. So you look at like Jelani Woods last year at Virginia was a very good example of a guy that, that Robert and I's offense just made him look great because he was a matchup problem. So I think if you start to take away some of those matchup advantages, which I think Notre Dame can do, it's going to really stress Syracuse offensively. And that's I think we saw a good bit of that against Clemson at times, particularly in the second half. Um, and how does Syracuse respond? I would certainly hope better than they did last week. So it's a, it is a better team than I think they have gotten credit for. But, I mean, it's still Syracuse. They're recruiting at a very different level than Notre Dame or, or Clemson or those teams are. So the, the margin of error is not big. One thing that I'll be very interested to see this week, and I think – it was one of the best advantages that, and I'm not really, I'm a numbers guy. I'm a data guy. I don't really tend to believe in a lot of the like um, momentum. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say momentum. Yeah. But Syracuse undoubtedly went into that game Saturday with a lot of confidence. And Garrett Schrader said during the week, like, we think this is our year. We think we can do it. And they went out and played like a confident team like that. They looked that way. So now that all that confidence sort of unraveled in a bad second half of a game, they lost that they very easily could have won. Do they walk away from that game saying, see, we can definitely play with the big boys and we'll do it against Notre Dame? Or is there this sort of hangover from how it ended and saying like, well, maybe we aren't that team and maybe we aren't that good? Because uh, I I frankly think that Syracuse's belief that, that they're better than people think has been one of their better advantages this year. Yeah, I'm with Pete. I have no idea what's making this team. I mean, I, I hate to say I'm not sold on them even after almost upsetting a top five team on the road, but... I have the same question you did, which is, does that one first loss domino into something else? And you look at that schedule. I mean, I know they're favorite this week, but but they could be underdogs in every game until the finale against Boston College. They've played every game except for last week and at UConn at home. And they have a sneaky good home. The, the, the Carrier Dome or JM Wireless Dome, to me, is almost like the Bryce Jordan Center at Penn State, where you also basically have to create your own energy because it's such a, a weird... Uh, quiet, almost environment that that just trips you up because you don't even realize you're playing in a an FBS football game against a Power Five team because it's so different from everywhere else. I, I just I really don't know what to make of this team. I mean, they Purdue threw the game away against them. Virginia didn't show up until the second half. The schedule has been it's completely backloaded, which is why we're going to find out about this team. I, I just don't you know I was I was commenting with someone uh, yesterday where who, who said this is why. Uh, in a comment on a story in the athletic history, someone said, you know, this is why you don't pull the trigger so quickly on a coach who's on the hot seat. Look at Syracuse paying off with Dino now. And I want to say it's his second winning season in seven years. I don't think this is like 
some amazing feat. Now, this program does not invest at all compared to everyone else in the ACC, and they couldn't afford to fire him. But I, I'm, I'm frankly not so – I thought Dino coached him out of the game at the end last week. His clock management was terrible. I think he made a really good hire with Robert and I, who's probably going to be gone next year with whoever Bronco Mendenhall ends up returning to coach because I think that's going to happen. I just don't know what to make of this team or this program coming into this. And you look at this line, I believe Notre Dame opened as a favorite, and now it's plus three in favor of Syracuse. Like This line scares the hell out of me both ways because (laughs) it's two teams that we don't know a thing about as we enter Halloween weekend. What, I didn't uh, have a question there. That was more of a comment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a rant. Yeah. I I did want to get into to Clemson a little bit more because I think our listeners probably be more uh I, I don't know how I don't know ahead. what the notary fan perception is over on the Syracuse game. I think it's there's a little bit of terror uh about it. Uh Clemson is still kind of the bigger game. There's also terror about that, but for different reasons. Um Clemson's defensive line, when they have smoke Notre Dame they have been great um and I guess you know, we would talk about their offensive line too but is this defensive line 2018 college football playoff good is it 2020 ACC championship level good when they had Tyler Davis opposed to during the regular season when they when they didn't what how good is this group because I mean obviously they've recruited off the charts I mean talent wise, yeah, it's it's as good as any they've ever had there. The, the 2018 group, I think, was unique because not only were they super talented, but those guys worked their asses off. They want that that was like a group of if you could build players in a factory that wanted to win at all costs, like the RoboCop of like my primary objective is to win at all costs. That was those guys, and I don't know that this group has quite that tiller mentality that that group did and the other part is they've just not been healthy together and the defensive line isn't really the same as the o-line where you need to build some chemistry among the five guys there but you do need those guys playing off of each other more and like the last couple of weeks is the first time that they've had that whole group relatively healthy at the same time and not just i don't mean just this season i mean since they've been together the last three years i think coming into who did they have before syracuse uh whatever that was uh yeah the florida state game i think was the first time or before that since the start of 2020 when they were all on campus i think they had played less than 50 snaps total together those like five the combination of those five guys Mm -hmm. so kj henry has been dominant this season and he that's he's been great uh miles murphy's been very good they just got xavier thomas back the last couple of weeks he's kind of coming along the interior of the line has been good, but Brzee has sort of been in and out of the lineup. Um, Rukororo, who is my favorite name in college football to say, <laughs> uh, has actually been re- sort of underrated and, and very good as well. So they're deep and they're talented. I don't think that they have come close to reaching what their potential ceiling would be. So to me, that's this is one of, aside from quarterback, this is the, the thing that you say like, well, what's the difference between uh, a Clemson team that can make the playoff and a Clemson team that can win it all. I think it's how dominant they're going to be up front. And there were times both uh, against Syracuse last week and Florida State the week before where they just absolutely devoured offensive lines and looked unstoppable. It just hasn't been the full 60 minutes that I've seen that. But you, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the offensive line too because to me, I actually talked to Marcus Freeman a little bit earlier today and he was like, I, I didn't see that offensive line last year 
But that looks like a really good unit right now. Like, I don't see weaknesses on that unit. And to me, that has been – like, you can point to DJ. You can say the receiving course. But that offensive line is night and day better than they were last year when they were not good at all, I don't think, last year. They, they just – I mean, again, you watch the game against Syracuse. They just handed the ball off and trucked that Syracuse front again and again and again. What uh, Were you in school last time Notre Dame played at Syracuse? Oh, man, what year was that? They played in 2003. Uh, I actually covered the game. <laughs> that was actually the. So I went to Syracuse for grad school and I was there in 04. So I missed oh. it by a year. Everything good at Syracuse happened in 03 and I missed yeah. all of it by a year. <laughs> I still Curse remember David Walter Hill. Reyes's first, second, third, fourth, and fifth touchdowns. Really, <laughs> it was kind of one of those moments you're like, yeah, it's, it's not working out for Tyrone. This Tyrone Willingham thing, it's not, it's not <laughs> happening. Was that Pascaloni or Greg Robinson? It was. That was Pascaloni, but yeah. but Greg Robinson also beat Notre Dame, which was really the only good thing that Greg Robinson did in his entire Syracuse tenure. At that point, we already knew it wasn't working out for Tr- Charlie Weiss, so there was no great revelation <laughs> um, as I was seeing that unfold. Uh, yeah, I think that was, that was one of those games where Notre Dame fans could be like, man, Nick, can we fire this guy now? And Syracuse fans were like, damn it, we're going to get another year with Greg Robinson now. <laughs> Uh, Cam Bantley's uh, finest moments. What? Uh, when's the last time you were back at your alma mater? And uh, for Irish fans making their first trip in 19 years there, at least, what do uh, uh, what do they got to see other than dinosaur uh, barbecue? I'm a little out of touch because I haven't been up since pre-pandemic. Uh, I used to try and go up for a basketball game every year. And as you know, Matt, when you add kids to the equation, those those weekend trips for a basketball game in central New York are not quite as easy as they you used just, to be. You see them at Cameron but, now in, a, in your backyard. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, look, there's, I mean, there's, there, I, Syracuse is an underrated town, in my opinion. Uh, going out, hanging out, drinking, whatever, Friday night, Saturday night. Armory Square area is where you probably want to like park yourself. There's lots of good places you can walk to uh, right in there. Um, Possibilities, stupid name, good spot to go get some food though. <laughs> uh, if you go and right, like around the game, like Marshall Street, you got Varsity Pizza. Everybody knows about that's sort of like the good post game hangout. Fagan's right next door, good spot for some booze. They'll be uh, it's a, a little on the fratty side, but so here's my biggest thing though, my biggest takeaway. So my favorite bar in Syracuse, absolute trash dive, terrible, terrible place was called Chuck's or Hungry Charlie's as it, as it was, but Chuck's is what we called it. And that was my go-to when I was there. And I'd always go back to Chuck's and love, love, loved Chuck's. Well, as all things do, uh, progress, quote unquote, progress came <laughs> and they knocked down the old Chuck's uh, and built apartment buildings there. It's right like off of Marshall Street. They have reopened a new Chuck's, and I have not been to it yet. And I find it hard to believe that you can recreate the level of grime and misery that occurred in the old Chuck's. Like the number of times I have peed in the men's room sink because the line was too long. You can't just recreate that by rebuilding something. You, but you can if I you're inventive enough. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's true. But anyway, I will be very interested. That I would say that's my... Uh, go to Chuck's, but I, I say that only with a little bit of, of reluctance and trepidation because I have not seen the new Chuck's. But I have to also believe, like, I mean, if, you're, if your goal is to see how many beers you can get for, like, $12, that's your spot. You go to Chuck's. Like, pitcher's, like, four bucks, and you just walk around with a pitcher in your hand because it's easier than buying individual beers. <laughs> well, I got I got to follow up on that one. It's, I'm glad you brought up cheap beer because – 
every time I'm on a show with you, you bring up my finest moment at ESPN and I have to bring it up <laughs> yes. uh, when I'm with you. I think we are having some kind of meetings at, at uh, the wide world of sports and I want to say 2014. Uh, me, you, and uh, Jared Shanker. I, I forget what the name of this test was and I think you brought it up as you do. Uh, it was a blindfold taste test between Bud Light, Miller Light, and Coors Light and you claimed that no one could could differentiate. Uh, well, I had just seen this like documentary about how like the big like uh, InBev and those places have like had like tried to corner the market and keep micro brews out. And one of the things that they were talking about is like the way that they sell macro brews is to make them all taste the same. And so that's why you see so many beer commercials because the marketing and like the cans are the only way to differentiate the product that they're all, but everybody disagrees with this. Every single person you ever talk to will say, no, I can tell Miller, I can tell. Yeah, and and who actually proved it? (laughs) And the one guy who did it, Matt Fortuna. So bravo to you. You've accomplished nothing else in your life, contributed nothing nothing else to the, to the greater sports journalism. (laughs) Yeah. Went out on a high note. I went out a high note. I, I had nothing left to prove at ESPN then. I went from doing spreecasts with you, Andrew, and Jared to doing a podcast with Pete. So it's nice to have old friends and new friends play nice together uh, on this uh, show here. But yeah, I'm. Uh, you guys are much bigger beer snobs than I am. I, lo- I love good old crappy beer, and, and I can do without some of the finer stuff, but to each their own. Well, I feel a, like the I, I, I indis- go, indistinguishable uh, macro brews, there's a metaphor for like ACC football there outside of Clemson. Like Everything is actually <laughs> the same. Yeah, quite possible. Quite possible. Yeah, Virginia, Boston College, Duke. You're essentially Coors Light, Miller Light, Bud Light. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's no, there's no ingredients in here. Somebody's. No I don't know who. I think Georgia Tech is Ice House. I'm not sure. <laughs> Chip Long, Chip Long's an Ice House guy all the way. Come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see it. I can see yeah, it. Yeah, he's a big macro brew guy. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. So getting into this weekend a little bit, like, I don't know, you're in your conversations with with Marcus or dealings with him, like, there's a whole lot of insight to be gleaned about this weekend. But like, what the I mean, from a more of a, a distant view of Notre Dame football right now, what what do you make of, I guess, Notre Dame season? Because um, they've, they've been, you know, five straight seasons of 10 wins or more national players this year, really kind of off the national radar where they will stay um, until next season, most likely. What What is sort of your, your more national view on Notre Dame football this year? Yeah, that's one of the things when I talked to Marcus was I asked him, like, what's, you know, what's the thought process inside the locker room right now? Like, not not to say you're not, like, motivated still, but, you know, the, the expectations for Notre Dame are, are high every year. And when you lose a couple of games early and when you're not doing 
what you've expected, like, and you're here in the middle of the season, like, what's the energy level? What's the focus? What are the goals? And I think that this next two game stretch actually says a lot because it's two ranked teams um, in two relatively high profile games. And I think it, look, you're not going to end the season saying, boy, Notre Dame had a great year. It's just not, that. that's not on the cards now. But I think there's an opportunity to end the season where, uh, you know, I, I call it the uh, the Texas special because Texas has a way of doing this every year where somehow at the end of the season, we're all sold on Texas again, no matter what we saw in September and October. I think there's a little bit of an opportunity, though, to say, like, look, it was always going to be some rebuilding, new coach, uh, new head coach, new quarterback. There was always going to be some turnover and, and and some difficulties that you had to get through. But you you go out, if you beat Syracuse and you beat Clemson, that narrative starts to change, and I think it's it becomes a springboard into what you're developing because the recruiting has been good, the energy has been ex- is good around Freeman, but you've got to show it on some wins, and this is a way to do it. And the other thing that he said, and I'm sure you guys have heard a million times at this point, is like you've got to be at least offensively more than like trying to run the ball and then get the ball to Michael Mayer. There's got to be some other part of this offense, um, and so I think it's sort of like let's. You know, you use a little bit of this this last part of the season to kind of figure out what you can be, like to to keep kind of pushing buttons to see if there's some lineup that works for you and starts making some more uh, things happen and gives you a little more versatility. I, so I look at these next two games. I mean, it's I don't I don't want to say season defining for for Notre Dame, but I think people, if you win these next two and then potentially USC, I mean, I think people look back at the end of the year and say. Pretty good season, like not what we hoped for at the beginning of the year, but pretty good season, excitement moving forward. If you don't and you don't get any of them or you only get one of those, like yeah, maybe the conversation is very much like going into the offseason saying like, I don't know, what is Notre Dame going to be under Mark? It's about – this is sort of about defining who you want to be moving forward in my mind. Yeah, I feel like oh. it's like off-season defining more than season defining in some ways. If, right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, you know, it's like yeah, whatever yeah. we're talking about at Notre Dame for the nine-month off-season – Probably is going to hinge a lot on the next two weeks. Oh, I mean, if, if you, no one will admit this after the success they've had the last five years, but I think if you told them before the year, you're going to finish nine and three in your new coach's debut with wins over Clemson and USC, uh, most people would sign up for that. Now they, they wouldn't read the fine print that comes with that, and that's okay. But uh, without a doubt, there, there's a lot. Um, but th- there's a lot to still, I think, be discovered about this team for better or for worse uh, in the second half of the season. David, I'm going to ask you for your prediction, but I'm going to read off a bunch of stats to you before that. Some of the, one of which I just stole from your Twitter account. Uh, Notre Dame is 31 and four against unranked ACC teams since uh, semi joining in 2014. Just seven and five against ranked ACC teams during that time. These are all actually again from ESPN stats and info. Syracuse six and one against the spread this season, tied for the second best in the country. Five and one against the spread as a home favorite since the start of last season, second best over that span. Notre Dame, 8-2 against the spread in road games since the start of 2020, the best road cover percentage in the country over that span. And Notre Dame is 3-0 against the spread as a road underdog since the start of last season. How do you see Saturday playing out? I don't think this is going to be a particularly pretty football game. Um, I'm not, I don't know if it's uh, gouge your eyes out like watching Virginia, but I don't think it's going to be a particularly pleasant experience for anybody. I could see this being like a 23-20 type of game. Um, I, I get my I just I wonder what this means for Syracuse coming off of such a heartbreaker last week. 
I, I tend to think like this is, I, I feel like I know, I don't know a lot about either team in the big picture at this point. Like you would, nothing would necessarily surprise me, but I feel like I am more a little bit marginally tiny, a little bit more confident in Notre Dame. I, I, I think like 23, 20 Notre Dame is about where my head's at right now. I'm going to hate myself for this, but I, I kind of agree with you. Like, Notre Dame hasn't really done. Notre Dame <laughs> You're hasn't not the done first really. Person to say that. <laughs> Notre Dame hasn't really done anything to really earn any of our faith this year. But it reminds me. I, I wouldn't say the Carolina game because you know they they played really well that game, and Carolina's better than Q's. But it just reminds me a little bit of, of of that vibe of. All right, they 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 stopped. A, they followed up a loss with a win. They're going on the road. They're a three point underdog. No one really knows what to expect from them. Uh, I, I think there are going to be some plays for them to run the ball, and as long as they don't turn it over. Um, I, I think they will win this one. I know a couple of weeks ago I said I had the circled as a loss, but that was also because um, I thought they beat Stanford. So my seven and five prediction will will hold up uh, if they win here, assuming they lose to Clemson and uh, USC later. Although I don't know, I, I I could talk myself into them hanging with Clemson depending on how this week looks, just based on. This has been like such a weird season because I could talk myself into almost anything, right? Like, right. okay, I'm pretty sure Ohio State's really good. I'm going to give Georgia the benefit of the doubt because they just won a national championship. I'm not sure that I like totally buy anybody else. Like there's not, I don't know. I feel like I've got less of a grip on the bulk of the country this year than I've had in a long time. I would argue the hottest team in the country right now is one that lost its opener by 46 points. Yeah. I mean, that's a great, like, Oh, Knicks for Heisman. I, like, like yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying that facetiously. Like, imagine hearing those words. I, it took ago. him a week to get the Auburn stink <laughs> off of him, and now he's a good player. It does. It does feel like a college football season where, like, human nature is in the ascendancy. Like, I, I think there's been a, a handful of coaches. Brian Kelly was one of them at Notre Dame. Like, you just knew what you were going to get every week. And now we don't, yeah. which makes it a hell of a lot more fun, unless you're a fan of Notre Dame, because you would prefer to go back to knowing you're going to win every game that you're supposed to win. And just like you swallow hard when you play Ohio state and move on. But, um, it does, uh, it's not good for predictions. That's for sure. Uh, it's probably not good for fan health. Good but. For Vegas. My, my bank account has taken a tiny little hit this year. You're wearing an Eagles hat as you, uh, as you record this, your alma mater is having its best season in forever. And your baseball teams in the World Series, so like you can't complain. Like you're the Jada Philly guy, you're allowed to like be happy at least. (laughs) I'm actually pulling for the Phillies because they're playing the Astros, but until this weekend, at least you're allowed to enjoy this moment. Yeah, I think I would. I I feel like my prediction for Notre Dame here is based solely on the fact that Dino Babers kicked the field goal at the end of the 2018 game (laughs) instead of like going for the touchdown when they're getting shut out, and like the. The karma consequences of that should carry over four years later when Notre Dame goes to formerly the Carrier Dome. So, but 23 20, 17 16, just like kind of an oddball score game. 47 and a half is pretty high over under for these two. 24 points feels like a lot for somebody to win the game with to me. So, I just feel like somebody's going to miss an extra point somewhere that's going to be very <laughs> yeah. problematic. Yeah. It's, it's just, a, it doesn't feel like a super clean game. So, but that's, yeah, Notre Dame is like punt block extraordinaire. So I could see like them blocking a punt, but when they fall on it, they fumble it out of the back of the end zone. So it's a safety instead of a touchdown. <laughs> or like weird scores. Michael Mayer makes the catch of the season in the red zone and then they go four and out and come out empty on that same drive. Like that's kind of been emblematic of 
this season as well. I will say we mentioned bowl stuff earlier. Pete, in your mailbag today, uh, I think it was uh, towards the end, uh, you threw out a hypothetical in there that has got me 10 times more jacked up for the end of the season than I otherwise would have been, which is the, the, the slim possibility of Notre Dame meeting LSU in a bowl game, which, I, I mean, I know you wrote that you wouldn't even be able to handle that narrative, but after the season Notre Dame has had and the slog it's been, I, I think that would be, I wouldn't say poetic justice, but that would just be awesome. Like, I, I cannot, like, we got excited for Mike Leach facing Texas Tech last year, but that divorce <laughs> happened a decade earlier and the game was terrible. This one, I just think, would be amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, including Brian Kelly. He'd have to wear that T-shirt of himself dancing um, that he wore last week to troll Lane Kiffin. I, I, I could think of no better or fitting way to end the season. Well, now that like Ed Orgeron is like besties with Marcus Freeman. like He was at the Stanford game. He's got to go to the game. He's got to go, yeah. And be on the hurting <laughs> sideline. Be the honorary oh coin God, toss. Amazing. I mean, it's just there's too much there's too much good stuff happening there. Um, that that would not be the end of the Notre Dame season that any of us deserve. But oh, it'd be the perfect. Be I'd, be, I'd be there deserves, to cover it if it happens. That's for certain. They would completely deserve it if but, they go but, to seven and five. <laughs> by the way, if uh, if Ed was at the Stanford game and has been spending a lot of time around Notre Dame, Notre Dame's having a down year. The other place he's been spending all of his time is Miami, and Miami's a train wreck. Is all of this his fault somehow? Mm. The curse of that. It could be. I mean, yeah. There might, there might be a yeah, no. deep dive. And the, play, the place he left that. is ranked number 18 in the country right now in six and two. Go for that it. also, like I could have, I wrote off LSU like three weeks ago. I was like, I don't think they're very good. And now like, I, this, this is what I'm saying about this season. Like I, even when I'm watching the teams, I'm like, wait, you're good. I forgot about that. They're, they're Which Brian, I'm still not convinced they're good. Like yeah. they're a Brian Kelly team. Like they start, they were down what seventeen three, I think to Ole Miss. Like they start so slow. Were they down 14, nothing to Auburn. Yeah, they, they, they just yeah, the, yeah. the FSU game, which they should have won. I mean, they, they didn't show up for two and a half quarters. It, it is a typical Brian Kelly team. I no doubt he'd win there. Um, I didn't think he'd win this much this soon. And, and again, that could change in two weeks when they play Alabama. And if A&M ever gets their stuff together and beats them in the finale. But it, it's been it's been pretty impressive, I, I will say. I, you know, the, the Tennessee game was so bad that I wrote them off. And that's like, wait, Tennessee's actually really freaking good this year. Like, maybe <laughs> right. national title good. There's no shame in that. Um, but it's definitely been one of those years so far. David, are we? Are you going to be in Syracuse, or will you be in South Bend next week? Will we see you? I will. I will definitely not be in Syracuse, unfortunately. Uh, TBD on South Bend. I have not heard any any info you as you as you're well aware from your espn time nobody tells you anything until the last minute oh so uh, i've got an email from games i wasn't at saying can you write are you, are you at the press conference <laughs> yeah. like no you didn't send me yeah. i'm not there don't you remember that <laughs> on the uh, on the narrative point can you imagine november 5th notre dame is playing clemson while brian kelly and lsu are playing <laughs> alabama and just how stressful that could be <laughs> for the Notre Dame fan base, depending on the result, if the results of those two games go a certain way, or how just exalting a feeling that could be for the Notre Dame fan base if those results go a different way, it um, that that may be more of an interesting story than the game itself. I mean, maybe talking myself into a different kind of uh, coverage of Notre Dame Clemson here on November fifth. So, David, my, you my, should come out for that. My, my eternal LSU Bama memory was. Um, 2011, that 9-6 overtime, the game of the century. And Pete, we were in the press box at Wake Forest, the Jim Grobe Wake Forest team that Notre Dame just barely beat. And Wake, I don't know if they still do this, but they welcome fans like basically on the field for a post-game picnic. And it was a night game, and they put on the overtime of that LSU-Bama game for the fans to watch. 
And we're all like watching it out of the corner of our eye while talking to Brian Kelly after what was a pretty miserable game amid a miserable season. And I think Brian Driscoll asked him a question about Tommy Reese struggling. Tommy Reese, the quarterback back then. And Kelly just lost his stuff on him and started reciting his stats as a, his win and loss record as a starter. And we're like, all right, cool, whatever. Oh, look, what else you just won? Like, <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll have something true. similar with Clemson in the house this week. I don't know. There is a Jumbotron in our name now. They can make that happen. That would yeah, it'd be interesting if they could flash up if Alabama's winning forty two to ten, if they put up highlights of that in game of Notre Dame Clemson just for the sake of karma. We we may be losing to Clemson, however. Yeah. Look what's happening in (laughs) North Valley right now. (laughs) All right. Well, David, thanks for hopping on with us, talking a little Syracuse, a little Clemson. Hopefully we see you up here on November fifth for that one. It should be it should be fun and narrative full which we all love as reporters so uh, appreciate it and thanks for the uh recommendations for getting into a little bit of trouble this weekend in, in upstate new york it should uh, we'll uh, try to put Enjoy that in on friday and, and saturday yeah, yeah let me know let me know your your thoughts on chucks if it's not terrible enough i'll make a trip up there in the off season to try and defile it slightly more <laughs> <laughs> lovely all right these david matt i'm pete thanks for being with us on the latest episode of the shamrock